Today I'm speaking to Ashley Gay, Head of Sustainability Leadership and Communications at Edge Environment. Ash has recently returned to Australia from living and working in London, where she led the sustainability practice of a creative agency and worked with some of the world's most ambitious sustainability teams, including Google, Lego and BP, in strategy, reporting, purpose and communications. In our conversation today, Ash brings her expertise in sustainability communications to explore what she calls the translation piece of telling a compelling sustainability story, as well as sharing some thought-provoking reflections on the sustainability chameleons leading the next generation of business leadership. Ash poses this question in today's podcast. Is sustainability leadership just good leadership? Ash, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I'm interested to start off with your career journey so far. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got into sustainability and your career path leading up to your current role? Yeah, sure. So I've been working in sustainability for the best part of, I think, about 12 years um, in various different capacities you know I consider it to be you know absolutely the core focus of my career and sort of personal and professional purpose now but getting to that point you know there was a lot of trial and error (laughs) and a lot of kind of um, personal and and self-discovery so I guess if we kind of go back to um, the beginning I was always really interested in work that addressed poverty and international development Um, and at the time when I was going through my studies there was no kind of course that was around sustainability it was always kind of in the context of international development Um, and so I was quite interested in a career where you know potentially be working in an NGO or even in kind of a um, diplomatic style context so I studied uh, international relations and international business and through that I realized actually there's this huge kind of overlap between these two worlds, you know, the the need to develop in a much more inclusive and equitable manner, but also, you know, the amazing power and capital and resources that are in the private sector. So um, I didn't really know at the time of of graduating. I actually graduated when the GFC (laughs) was happening. So, you know, probably similar to many people looking at um, their career path now coming out of COVID, um, it was a bit of a challenging time. So I actually um, ended up working in a big organisation that was in the materials sector, going through the grad program there, which was the best thing I could have ever have done. It wasn't what I expected, but I realised pretty quickly that, you know, business can be a force for good. And one of my first projects as a graduate was helping produce the first sustainability report uh, for the company that I worked for. And through that project, I realised that actually this is something that really lights my fire and gets me really excited and I could see the potential um, ahead. But it it wasn't like there were sustainability managers in organisations. It was still kind of, you know, environmental compliance focused and things like that. So I was really excited by this new space, but it wasn't particularly defined So what I then ended up doing is in the various roles that I had in the kind of six or seven years after that in this organisation, I always tried to find a way to weave sustainability into my job. (laughs) 
<laughs> whether my poor manager wanted that or not. <laughs> but I actually ended up then um, sort of formalising a role around it, um, which I ended up loving and doing my master's in sustainable built environments part-time, um, you know, outside of outside of work. So um, I, I realised through that time that there was this huge opportunity for particularly material suppliers to play a role in how cities develop and the right way of that, you know, for that development to kind of come to life in a sustainable way. And that was really the start of my journey. I then realised that I wanted to explore what this looks like in different parts of the world. So I'd spent a long time working in the kind of quite kind of Australian specific context and I always knew that I wanted to live and work overseas so I moved to London stayed on a friend's couch <laughs> didn't have a job but um, managed to find one in an organization where I actually went into consulting and I ended up you know really loving the variety and the travel and I was lucky enough to work with you know organizations from Google to Lego to Beiersdorf to you know, more traditional kind of built environment players like um, Great Portland Estates or even the Crown Estate, which is actually owned by the Queen. So that was pretty fun. So it was a really kind of varied experience and by far the best thing I'd ever done. And it really expanded, I guess, my understanding of the opportunity for sustainability, but also how organisations can implement it. So I'd gone from a perspective that was quite technical um, and sort of evidence base <clears throat> and then I moved into a role that you know was a little bit more aligned with uh, how we think about branding and how we actually bring things to life and how we inspire people to to change their behaviors and and act differently so I feel like between those two perspectives I've been really fortunate to get an understanding of what sustainability leadership really means and what those organizations that are leading look like. So you spent about five years overseas um, between London, Europe and the US and some of this, as you mentioned, in working for more corporate organisations outside of the built environment. How has the transition been to come back to Australia working in the built environment industry and especially during COVID? Yeah, it's been a really big roller coaster. Transitioning back to work in Australia has been um, overall a really brilliant experience. I was a little bit nervous about coming back because when I was in London, I was fortunate enough to work with amazing organisations that I never dreamed of working, um, working with uh, across all sorts of markets from the US, London, Scandinavia, Ireland, like all of these really exciting places. And so I was naturally a little bit nervous about, I guess, what the maturity of the market was going to be like coming back because when I left it was still a little bit immature um, and I suppose particularly in markets like Scandinavia they've got that reputation for being really leading and really innovative where sustainability is just normal <laughs> it's the normal thing to do so I was a little bit nervous about that but I was also really excited because you know I'd watch from afar the absolute devastation of the bushfires I remember being in our London townhouse just sobbing because I was just watching my country burn effectively and being you know just so heartbroken and feeling so helpless and my poor partner who is British was kind of like are we are we really moving to somewhere that's just on fire all the time but through that time I guess you know I just realized that this is this is something that I needed to do and I wanted to do so since arriving back, I've been so pleasantly surprised by how far the market has come in the five years that I was away. You know, 
I noticed on one of the first days at uh, the bus stop, there was this huge ad for a very prominent consumer brand and it was all about their position on uh, sustainability issues. And I was just like, wow, that would have never, ever happened five years ago. You know, everyone here tells me that even within the last sort of 12 to 18 months, that's hugely shifted. So I think overall it's been really amazing to see that um, momentum and the kind of mainstreaming of these issues has become a lot more commonplace. But equally I think there's some areas where you know, there's so much great stuff happening that in not only just the built environment sector, but in kind of the sustainability general more broadly here in Australia, that's really exciting. And we don't necessarily tell that story enough. I think it's quite an Australian thing to shy away from doing a bit of that um, storytelling. And I think, you know, if we're really going to be addressing this decade of action with the level and kind of pace of, um, of change that's required, we need to be doing more than just the work behind the scenes. We need to be engaging people. We need to be telling that story and it needs to be globally relevant. You mentioned that sentiment has changed um, towards sustainability, especially in that five years, I guess, since you've been gone. And I certainly felt that um, pre-COVID, it really felt like momentum was building and especially um, the bushfires at the beginning of the year, that felt like a turning point. How do you think that reputation and sentiment around social responsibility of organisations has changed? And do you think that this will really push the uptake of sustainability practices in the broader built environment industry? Yeah, it's a really it's a really good question. I think it I think it has changed. I think there's still we have to be realistic though about the level of change that's still required. Mm. I mean, if you look at certain indexes that kind of look at the level of trust in organisations and where people place their trust. You know, we know that trust in government is is very low. If you look at the Elderman barometer each year and what they're kind of publishing, it's really interesting and it sort of shines a light on how society is really expecting businesses to take a leading role in addressing the biggest challenges that we have because there is that perception that businesses can move much faster and, and much harder towards some of these goals and issues. So I think that's definitely changed, but I think there's still, particularly in the Australian market, um, I think it's just a bit of the Australian way to be um, naturally a bit sceptical about things. A lot, of, a lot of consumers are, you know, really interested in making changes to live a more sustainable life, for example, but they aren't necessarily seeing the organisations that they or the brands that they buy from or the places that they kind of live and work as playing a leading role in that to match their expectations just yet. So I think there's still a bit of work to be done. At Edge Environment, you help organisations with sustainability reporting and you've mentioned that, you know, businesses can be a force for good and that they can implement things a little bit more quickly. I'm wondering from your perspective, how important is it for organisations to be showing courage and leadership in environmental sustainability at the moment? And do we actually need to rely on businesses to make this change or does it need to, does there need to be some more leadership from government as well? Yes. So I think sustainability reporting is a good example because it's the, it's the primary interface between an organisation and their stakeholders around sustainability. So I think one of the interesting observations I'd make in terms of um, the market here in Australia compared to European markets is that whilst 
there's um, some really great examples of, I guess, sustainability reporting in, in some instances, there's a huge way to go. So in a European context, it's widely recognised that non-financial information about a company, i.e. the sustainability data and um, disclosure, needs to be as um, comparable, reliable, robust and assurable as financial information. And I guess if that's the benchmark, we're still quite far behind. Um, and, and that's a really kind of big area of opportunity and something that we're really focusing on here at EDGE, which is really exciting. I think in terms of more generally what this means in terms of ambition and where we need to get to, we absolutely need organisations of all shapes and sizes, government and private sector, to be setting bold and ambitious targets that are achievable but also stretch. <laughs> so we need to see organisations going beyond BAU to really be reducing their impacts and, I guess, shining a light on those areas that are things that they can contribute positively to society. My personal approach and, I guess, my personal experience is certainly more in the private sector. So I genuinely believe that when organisations do set those bold and ambitious targets and have, you know, they might not know exactly how they're going to get there, but they know where they want to get to and they're not afraid to say it. They're not afraid to kind of say, this is what we're aiming for. We don't know exactly how we're going to get there and we need some help. You know, they're the people that for me are really embodying the type of change that we need to see. Um, and it's about opening up ways that collaboration can then happen across the supply chain or between industries or, you know, public-private kind of coming together to address some of these challenges. One of the things that is really interesting, I think, is that this idea of sustainability leadership isn't just about comparing two companies in the same sector. We're actually seeing companies that, for all intents and purposes, are completely different and wouldn't necessarily ever consider themselves competitors now kind of measuring themselves in terms of their sustainability efforts. So we're seeing this whole new market opportunity of differentiation opening up, which is really exciting. We've been talking about ambition and leadership being shown by organisations and business. I'd like to just turn the conversation now to a little bit more about personal leadership and you are the Head of Sustainability Leadership at Edge Environment. Wondering what does it mean for you to be a sustainability leader? Yeah, sure. So my role is about helping organisations translate sustainability from something that's quite technical and a little bit hard to understand or sometimes very hard to understand into something that is actionable, relevant, tangible and inspiring for their stakeholders, whether they're investors, customers, employees or supply chain partners or NGOs. So for me, sustainability leadership um, in an organisational sense is about how do we ensure that we're taking an evidence-based approach but we're also then bringing that to life in a way that people can actually understand because we need to see change and in order for change to happen, People need to be seeing how they can practically do things differently in their lives, whether that's, you know, at home or at the workplace or anywhere kind of in between. 
on an individual level, um, it's a really interesting question. And we've been doing some research around what sustainability leadership looks like. And I've been speaking to a number of people, both in private and public sectors that are, you know, career sustainability people through to people that have just now starting to build sustainability into their roles. And what's been really interesting in that is this idea of, you know, is, is sustainability leadership just good leadership? So good leadership in terms of the research that's come out and I guess what's kind of widely recognised of people that can, you know, bring people together to get the best out of everyone um, that can set direction and clarity, um, hold people to, to account and hold organisations and themselves to account and sort of be committed to um, walking the talk in that process. And, and I think what's really interesting about the, the emerging findings is that we found that people, people generally think that sustainability leadership is an evolution of what we generally consider to be good leadership. So we're now seeing sustainability leadership open up a really exciting space for people in organisations. And actually, it's quite interesting. I don't know if you've seen the um, recent appointment of the new CEO at H&M. It's not that new anymore. It sort of happened, I think, at some point at the end of last year or earlier this year. So they've actually appointed the new CEO who was the head of sustainability. So we're now seeing that as like quite an interesting and different career path because I guess the people that are really successful in those roles, they are connectors, they're diplomats, they're chameleons, <laughs> you know, they have all of these different things that they can do and they can figure out how to, I guess, find, some, find that kind of connection between what they know is important to talk about and what's actually important for the person that they're talking to. So you'd have a very different conversation with the head of HR as you would for the head of investor relations if you're a sustainability professional. And I think people who do that really well are the next generation of leaders in business. Yeah, there's actually, yeah, some really interesting points there that I'd like to come back to. But first of all, you, you've mentioned that um, your findings so far are indicating that sustainability leadership may just be a, a continuation or extension of good leadership. One of the things that has come out of my research so far is this um, sense of interconnectedness between sustainability and other ethical drivers, such as diversity, for example. So I'm wondering, with your research that you've done, um, can you reflect on that relationship between sustainability and how it makes you a better leader or perhaps the in inherent interconnectedness between an interest in sustainability and just acting um, more ethically in all other areas as well? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, at the heart of, of both of those things, there's a desire to do good and to do better than what we were doing yesterday or what better than what we were doing you know, five years ago. And I think that that speaks to purpose and how people are, you know, actively pursuing things that ensure there's alignment between personal value and what they're doing in a professional context, you know, and there's heaps of research around how that's kind of becoming more and more commonplace. I think in, in relation to sustainability and diversity, one of the things I've observed, um, particularly in the last 18 months, is this slight, not 
divergence, but kind of, yeah, maybe it is a slight divergence between the sustainability agenda, which traditionally would have included um, diversity and inclusion as kind of one of the issues or one of the pillars, if you like, within that agenda to something that's actually just exploding in its own right. And I think part of the challenge that we have as sustainability professionals is ensuring that actually all of these things are aligned in a consistent way. And, you know, that's recognised by the fact that for a lot of organisations and, and companies that I've worked with, you know, there's a head of diversity and inclusion and there's a head of sustainability. And that's not always completely joined up. And I think both are better for being joined up in an organisation. What's really interesting is that I think there's that core alignment in terms of what people in each of those areas are kind of interested in pursuing personally and professionally, but also in an organisational sense, there's both are kind of moving in different directions and we need to make sure that we're learning from both of those two different agendas and bringing it together. You mentioned the quite unusual pathway of the H&M CEO from sustainability leader to CEO and that perhaps that's something that we might start to see more of, um, especially as sustainability leadership starts to perhaps be perceived as, um, yeah, good leadership, as you were saying. I wonder if you could reflect on the perception of sustainability leadership or the sustainability sector kind of within the broader construction industry. Yeah, sure. I think there's, um, it's a really good question because I think we do have a number of perception issues that are prohibiting us and I guess the kind of field of sustainability from being more effective. I think the first one of those, and this is not specific to the construction sector and built environment, although it's certainly part of it. I think a lot of the time when we talk about sustainability and we show we show sustainability. So whether it's through presentations or, um, you know, things that we create to kind of try and tell the story of, of what we're doing, a lot of the time we're defaulting to really basic cliches of sustainability that we know actively turn people off. And actually the, the company that I worked for in, in London did some fascinating research around this um, and it kind of found that the actual visual way that we're presenting sustainability in, so like the cupped hands with the globe in the middle of the hands and the leaf coming out of the top of the globe and, you know, people holding hands to represent diversity, all of these kind of stock standard ways of talking about these really complicated issues are actually have, have well and truly damaged the perception of sustainability and continue to do damage because we continue to use these things so rather than demonstrating how sustainability and these really important issues are part of a project or a brand or an organisation in a way that's really real, we quite often default to these things, which, which actively turns people off. So that's one big perception issue that, that just has to change. We have to stop the sort of Hessian sack, Hessian bag approach to sustainability because it just doesn't work and it only talks to the people that are already converted. So in order for us to really capture everyone, <laughs> we need to ensure that sustainability is much more aspirational. The second thing in terms of perception, I think um, it was really interesting. I was having this conversation with um, a friend of mine who works in sustainability as well um, about a month ago. And <laughs> we, we both sort of said, oh, can't believe how clicky it is. Like sustainability is a really clicky industry 
And I think if you go to if you go to kind of events and conference or like back in the day when that <laughs> when we could do that, it would be the kind of same faces, um, whether that's on the kind of speaking circuit or, you know, the people that are, you know, driving these things. I, I, I think there's this perception that there's a bit of ego in sustainability that makes it really hard for people that want to do more in sustainability but haven't been around for as long and don't know as many people as everyone else to then kind of come into that space. And I think the construction sector is a really good example of that. So I think ensuring that in our own work we can be as inclusive and as diverse as possible is really important. So I think that is a perception issue that that is that is difficult and we need to we need to shift. The other one is that you know the perception that sustainability is just the sustainability manager's job. And we see this in the um, you know the kind of construction and infrastructure project work that we do. And we also see it in the work that we do in the corporate space. You know, a lot of the time um, it's that kind of sustainability manager kind of trying to drive change through just themselves. And the ones that are the most effective are the people that find a way to build in different perspectives, different parts of the organisation, different roles, um, people that don't even really understand or care about sustainability and finding a way to kind of bring them on the journey. They're the ones that are most effective. So I think that perception that, oh, it's a sustainability person's job or or it's the, you know, go and speak to the person over there to, to find the answer, I think is, is one of the things that we also have to start shifting. Communication is so important with sustainability and trying to improve the uptake of sustainability practices. So you've already mentioned that I guess there is a problem with how we communicate about sustainability and that there are, well, actually dual problems, either that it's too technical and you need to kind of translate that into something understandable and actionable or that it's kind of too wishy-washy and that it's turning people off. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, more about kind of good strategies um, in terms of communicating about sustainability. Yeah, I think it is one of the biggest challenges and opportunities that organisations have and sustainability professionals have. So let's just take a scenario. So say there's a sustainability professional who just can't get the marketing team to listen. They feel frustrated that the project that they've done that's achieved amazing sustainability outcomes and they could even be, you know, Australian first outcomes or even world first outcomes and they just can't kind of get anyone to listen through to the marketing team that understands that sustainability issues like climate change, for example, um, or local and ethical procurement are issues that they know their consumers or customers or wider stakeholders care about, but they just haven't had much success in engaging them around it, Um, potentially because they're using some of those, you know, visual cliches or they're still a little bit too technical or they haven't quite figured out how to kind of integrate it in the rest of their work and I guess how that organisation looks and, and sounds. The third kind of aspect of this scenario is around um, corporate affairs and investor relations. I think a lot of the time we're seeing almost daily bombarded with the different things that investors are doing to drive change, particularly on issues like climate change, and yet they're not getting the engagement and the traction that they need from those investor relations and corporate affairs teams. For some organisations, they're bringing the sustainability or the head of sustainability 
into the tent, so to speak, um, and they're part of those conversations as a subject matter expert with investors. But quite often, investors know that they're not necessarily getting the right answers from those teams. So, all of those scenarios are things that are very, very, very common and they all are working against each other. So, like, the goal is there, the demand is there, the work is there, but we haven't yet quite figured out how to do all of that. So, I think the the thing that I'm personally really focused on and I know is a really kind of big part of where Edge is going is creating that conversation between those three different perspectives around that common goal and sort of saying, okay, for some of your audiences, you're going to need a really technical approach because you're talking to a technical person that just needs to find the numbers as quickly as possible and they need to know that they're credible. But then equally, there's a whole other raft of people that don't really understand the specifics of you know, embodied carbon within climate change and how that relates to their role. And they've got 10 million other things to do and they're going through COVID. So why are they going to take the time to then understand what it is that a sustainability manager does? It's just not going to happen. So we need to bring these perspectives together. And, a, you know, a construction project is a really great example of where that can happen. You know, coming together early and often throughout a project and also bringing material suppliers into that conversation I think is something that's also really important. Quite often that's a bit of an afterthought and it happens almost too late for the materials guys to actually provide import and provide solutions. So I think it's that early and often engagement and it's not just between the sustainability team. It's, it's about educating those other kind of departments and roles to ensure that they can all go and have, you know, credible and robust conversations around sustainability issues. Bringing the conversation back to leadership again, a core part of your role is about leadership. And I'm wondering how you think leadership has changed in the recent era as a new generation of leaders navigate these issues of pandemic and climate emergency. Yeah, there was some really interesting research on this released, I think, by the UN Global Compact um, a couple of months ago. The majority of leaders, and I mean this in utmost respect, are not equipped to deal with the challenges that they have faced during COVID. I mean, none of us are. Like, they are so extraordinary and so monumental that it is it is very difficult to sort of say you know what are the things that we could have done to be completely prepared for a scenario like COVID however I do think that in terms of future leaders of organizations and whether that's whether that's a CEO whether that's a someone you know who's new and into an organization and going through a grad program or someone kind of in the middle of of that journey you know, there's a huge opportunity for sustainability people to be um, helping the organisation understand the world around them and really prioritising what's important and what's not. So, focusing on what are those things that are really key? What do we need to put in place to address those? And how do we ingrain it in an organisation so that we are managing risk, but also looking at all of the opportunities that exist What we've been through in 2020 uh, collectively is forcing, whether we like it or not, a huge and drastic change in leadership in organisations, sustainability or otherwise. We are being forced to prioritise the needs of 
people over everything else. Um, and companies that have done that well and come out on the front foot and recognise that, you know, are organisations that people want to work for. So you can see organisations that have come out, it's almost daily on LinkedIn, you know, companies changing their working policies, you know, into the future and sort of saying, look, we're actually going to enable our people to work from home forever. You know, companies that are doing that and really recognising the huge moment that we're in are the ones that are really going to be seen and recognised as innovative leaders. I think there are companies as well that are still trying to figure it out and that's totally okay. What we're going through is something that you just, you could have the best risk process in the world, but you still wouldn't really be totally prepared for a scenario like this. So I think actually, although so much of COVID has been devastating, it's also shown that as a society and as businesses and as people that we can change overnight we can do it. We can drive less. We can fly less. We can, um, we can see these amazing and tangible results in terms of the, you know, amount of pollution in the skies or pollution in the ocean. We can do it. Um, and we've, we're living through that experience now. And I'm hoping that that's a really exciting foundation for people to be re-evaluating not only personally what it is that's important to them, but in an organisational context, how are they actually um, functioning within society? What is their purpose and how can they aggressively go after that purpose? Um, so I think in terms of leadership, it is a really exciting opportunity for individuals who work in sustainability to show how the things that we're, you know, used to dealing with, which is understanding what's going on in the outside world and bringing that into a context that makes sense, that you can put targets behind, that you can implement on projects, you know, applying that in the moment that we have now is huge and it's really powerful. I'd like to talk now about your experience in relation to female representation and diversity in leadership. Have there been any particular challenges or opportunities in your career that you felt to be particularly significant along your leadership journey? Yeah, it's a really good question. I started my career uh, very young. So I was in my first full-time role out of university when I just turned 20. And I joined an organisation that um, is male-dominated. And I think for a lot of um, the time that I was there, I was trying to fit in. I was, you know, quite often um, the younger person in the room by 20, 30, 40 years sometimes, and almost certainly the only female. So for a lot of that experience, I was incredibly fortunate to have amazing um, men who were exceptional leaders, amazing business managers, and I learned so much from them, who really, I guess, understood that I had a, I had a different perspective, I had a different voice, and they listened to that. I think at times, and this is also just kind of growing up and finding your feet, I did lose touch a little bit with my femininity and sort of dialed that down or dialed that up in ways that I didn't, looking back on it, really ever need to. I, I sometimes felt like I had to be something else or be someone else. And I remember, um, I remember meeting up with um, a friend 
um, who had actually worked, I'd worked with for a little while and she'd moved on to another organisation and we, and we met up and she took one look at me and she said, God, you're dressing like a bloke now, you know, and, and I, think, I think a lot of it was just trying to figure out what my role was in this big place. <laughs> um, and, and I think now I'm at a point in my, in my career where I, where I understand that and I feel like I can be me. Um, but I, that was definitely a struggle and that was something that I found hard and I didn't recognise at the time that I found it hard, but looking back on it now with hindsight, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. I think in terms of um, the opportunities, I was really lucky to work in businesses that didn't always get it right but were trying. I was involved in an initial kind of pilot and trial um, many years ago that was looking at, well, how do we establish kind of a network of women and open up diversity more generally? So diversity of gender was an important aspect, but diversity of thought and ideas and experience were valued in equal measure. And I think that was a really important opportunity for me to actually see myself in a leadership role. So particularly when I was kind of in those formative stages of my career, that was something that I struggled to identify and it was through that network that I kind of started to go, oh, maybe that could be me one day. And so I think, you know, that was an incredibly valuable experience and probably something that has changed my life, to be honest. Wow, that is, yeah, a great reflection on that experience. As a sustainability leader now, you have the opportunity to help set the agenda for what we need to be focusing on in the development and construction industries. So I'm interested in what your main sustainability priorities are for the next year, especially considering our COVID context and, you know, the opportunities that might come out of that for the construction industry to help, you know, stimulate the economy, but hopefully in a sustainable way. Um, but also your priorities a little bit more long-term. Yeah, sure. So there's a couple of different things. I think on a really practical level, one of the areas of focus that I've got in terms of the project work coming up and also more generally in terms of the market holistically is embodied carbon. This is such an important issue because it's, you know, it's one of those kind of classic, very difficult sustainability challenges. It's hard to see, it's hard to measure, it's hard to change, <laughs> but it is, it, it is possible and it requires every part of the supply chain to be playing their role. And what we see is quite interesting is all of the different kind of perspectives that we talk to, whether it's architects, engineers, developers, materials suppliers, government procurement, everyone wants lower embodied solutions but people aren't necessarily talking the same language and, and kind of moving in a coordinated fashion. So that's something that I guess over the short, medium and longer term we're going to be um, really focusing on, which is really exciting. Personally and through, I guess, my experience and where we're kind of evolving Edge's offering, that the next component is really around, well, how do we actually start to transition sustainability from something that is particularly in the construction sector very technical into something that is technical and compelling. So something that actually gets, you know, speaks to 
speaks to someone um, who isn't in a sustainability role, gets them excited about the potential of doing things a bit differently and actually then goes and seeks ways to proactively make it part of what they do. So it's not just sitting on the heads of or the shoulders of the sustainability manager or the sustainability contractor. It's how do we actually ingrain sustainability in everything that we do. And for me, that's about recognising that a lot of the time we have to translate what's going on from the technical world into something that's relevant for other people. So it's that translation piece and that's something that I'm really passionate about. Circling back to the theme now of diversity in environmental leadership, do you have any advice to those who are striving to make a difference in the field? I think there's there's a couple of things. So one of the things that really helped me that didn't rely on an organisation doing it for me <laughs> was actually going and seeking people that could help advise and help me kind of navigate certain challenges around my career. So whether that's, you know, a formal coach or a formal mentor or actually just someone in the industry that you enjoy chatting to um, and respect and admire, you know, I, I had that for me um, through many, many amazing, amazing people. And that was something that I worked hard to develop, didn't rely on an organisation doing it for me and was really important personally and professionally in terms of, I guess, supporting me in my, uh, in my sustainability journey and my kind of career and, and leadership journey. I think the other thing is, you know, someone very wise once told me figuring out what you don't want to do is almost uh, the most important thing and the easiest place to start. So at times I've definitely felt completely overwhelmed about what it is that I want to be doing. I like doing most things. <laughs> I'm a bit of a yes person. Um, so finding the thing that I really wanted to kind of um, develop and invest my time in, you know, and, and do additional study and kind of go and go and explore was not an easy thing for me to do. So I had to kind of figure out, well, what are the things I know I don't want to do? And that's where I started. And that was really great advice that I was given at the time um, and really helpful. And I think the final thing is not to worry too much. I am a bit of a worrier. So like I think I need to take um, my own medicine every now and then as well. But just trust that things things will work out as long as you're saying yes to opportunities that come along and you're also doing things that actually ensure that those opportunities are going to be created. I think, you know, between those kind of different things, that's what's really helped me in my career um, and getting to the point where, you know, I absolutely love what I do and I know I'll be doing it for a really long time. Finally, I'd like to end on a question about inspiration. If you could name one thing that has been instrumental in shaping the kind of leader you are today, it could be a book, a place, a person, an idea or an experience, what would that be? Can I have two? I've got two answers. <laughs> I, f I find it really hard to pick one. Um, so the first one was a person and this was um, this is a person who I um, would catch up for coffee with, would chat to, would call when I've just got something I wasn't sure. Um, his name is Ross Davies and he for many years dedicated his life to advancing the sustainability of the steel sector. Unfortunately, Ross is no longer with us, but he was incredibly integral in my personal and professional um, career and development and showed me that it's okay and valuable to be nice and passionate about sustainability and 
good in business. So he showed me that it's okay to, to be all of those those things and that you didn't necessarily have to change who you were or compromise your own values in order to do a good job. And he was incredibly influential and um, very, very inspirational. And then I guess the second thing was moving to London. It was the best thing I'd ever done. I was terrified. But I knew in my heart of hearts that it was something that I had to try. Um, And if it didn't work, I would come home and figure it out. Um, But it did work. And I stayed there for five years, changed and evolved my career, traveled the world and said yes to absolutely everything, which at times, you know, every now and then I needed to like close the door and close the blinds and just have like a day at home. (laughs) Um, But I said yes to everything I did. I've got absolutely no regrets. And I think it's important to ensure that we always have those kind of, you know, big um, step changes in our environment, our context, our view of the world, and, you know, think about ways that that can ultimately lead to us doing better work. Ash, thank you so much for your time. That's been such an interesting chat and some really practical advice as well about the importance of communication around sustainability, which hopefully can help to start improve um, sustainability outcomes. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Design Conscious is a podcast created by me, Sarah Lawler, as part of the 2020 International Women's Day Scholarship supported by NAWIC.